Yes, people. Another week, another episode of Echo Chamber. So, let's kick things off with the UK box office top 10 for the weekend of the 14th to the 16th of February. At number 10, we've got The Gentleman. Still in the top 10. Um, at number nine, it's Jumanji, the next level. At number eight, it's 365DNI. Hmm, not uh, heard of that one. At number seven, we got Bad Boys for Life. At number six, it's Emma. At number five, it's Harley Quinn, Birds of Prey. At number four, it's 1917, still holding strong. At number three, it's Doolittle. At number two, it's Parasite. And I'm assuming because of the half term, at number one, we got Sonic the Hedgehog. Okay, so this week we are um, dipping back to two films that I looked at during the London Film Festival because they are both out this week well one here and one in the US but it's a great film so people need to go see it for sure so yeah let's get into these right cool Okay, so just been um, to see Greed, the new film from um, Michael Winterbottom, who wrote and directed this. It was produced by Damon Jones and Melissa Parmita. And it's starring Steve Coogan, Isla Fisher, David Mitchell... Asa Butterfield and Sophie Cookson. Uh, the gist of the film is this. Richard McCready, played by Coogan, is the king of the high street. Following a few wobbles with fraud investigations and to prove he's still on top, he is determined to throw the ultimate celeb field 60th birthday bash. Cue a Mediterranean island Decked with a fake amphitheatre for an ancient Rome-themed backdrop. But, as the guests start arriving, including Mother, um, played by Shirley Henderson, ex-wife, Fisher, and a daughter who's shooting a made-in-Chelsea-style reality show, Greedy McCready's empire starts to come apart at the seams. Mixing Greek myth and gladiator fandom with incisive social politics, this is both an enjoyable and very angry film. Hitting its targets with Winterbottom's typically thrilling energy, Coogan is hilarious as the embodiment of hubris. With a vast ensemble cast including David Mitchell as an investigative journalist, Azim Chowdhury as a chilled out lion tamer and Danita Golly as the woman making the connection between fast fashion 
and exploitation. What's also remarkable is how the film breaks down business fraud and international trade deals in an easy to digest way amid the anarchic farce that pits humour against the 1%. So, with this one, um, yeah, the, it is a huge cast. A huge cast and a lot of, like, you know, I think big comedians or, or comedic actors in this one. Um, now, the film starts... And this is what it does. So it will show certain things. Like at the beginning, they're handing out checks. So you get to see, I think, the um, the corruption. And the ways in which they do it. So they'll show something. And then, you know, straight after or a bit later, they'll kind of explain it somehow. In um some form of context within the film, you know, like oh the checks getting handed out are really, you know, money from blah 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 blah, and so they do that. That's what this film does. Uh and also you get we're getting a lot of flashbacks. So yeah, I think you then jump to these scenes from after the party. Then we go three days before, um, and it's a lot of this, like, flashbacks to the, um, the difficulties he's, um, having with, you know, fraud investigations, and it's just a lot of these flashbacks, flashbacks to school, flashbacks to, you know, his first inroads into business, and all of this, uh, now, it yeah so in the copy it says like Danita Gully's character is the woman making the connection between fast fashion and exploitation and it's a bit like mm, I think everyone had made that like that wasn't a connection that really needed to be made <laughs> you know what I mean that is glaring it's there it's not subtle like. McGreedy, McCready, even he knows, but yeah, he he's doing it. The the reason he's getting his clothes made in Sri Lanka, it's the reason why he's trying to haggle people down and everything like that. It's all for a purpose. Um, but the thing with um Gully's character is, you straight. A way you realise Oh She is the one That will be You know doing you know, She's going to play a part To bring him down I think Yeah it, you just see that it's, it's just obvious And I think that's The thing With this film It is pretty obvious It's pretty much on the nose, you know exactly what's going to happen, um, a lot of the humour does seem forced, rather than just this natural hilarity, you know, because, yeah, like, making these dodgy deals and all of this kind of stuff, there is a humour in it, because it's so just blatant, 
You know what I mean? It, it, it's blatant, but it's not a crime in a lot of contexts. So that's just there's funny in that, you know, because it's ludicrous. Like the situation is all ludicrous. Like this um whole infatuation with Gladiator is ludicrous. It's all funny. So I think it could have been funny without it being so shoehorned and forced on us. Which is just, yeah, it's a shame because, as, as I mentioned, there's so many, like, comedic actors in this who we've seen be funnier and better in other things. Like, I mean, I, you know, I wouldn't say, like, the acting is terrible or anything like that. The acting's decent. You know, Isa Fisher, Shirley Henderson, um, like Coogan. Yeah, and and Golly, they're all, they all give good performances. But we've seen them give great performances. I think that's the thing. Like David Mitchell, it, it it kind of seemed that he did like you know what I mean. I think it was just like, oh, do I am I playing this character as funny buffoon, um, sh- you know, just straight? Like, how am I playing this? And he's just caught in between the two, which then becomes a bit odd. Yeah, the like, he's meant to be a biographer. But it just, his character just comes off a bit strange. Like caught in this limbo of, um, yeah, I don't know. It's a strange one. Um, But yeah, I, I just, I think that for this film to have the impact it obviously is meant to have. I kind of felt that, um, I don't know, like, Armando Inanucci probably could have nailed it. I, I think he could have been, he, he could have given it that grit that it needed. Because I think it needs a tenacity. It needs this extra something for it to really... Properly resonate with you And um, it doesn't quite pack that punch Like, I think a, a, a crazy part of it as well Because the film is meant to be showing Like this corruption This, this uh, you know, this double dealing This, you know, this fraudulent nature that kind of gets um it gets sidetracked because you, uh, you we then have this theft in the film we have this uh like this other this thing that happens at the end which then is like it takes away from the point you're trying to make because these things are just as bad. You know, like there is no 
real excuse for these things, these actions. You know, like someone can say, oh, when I did this thing, it was like I wasn't there. That That's not an excuse for doing that thing. You did a thing. Yuri, there was, there's other ways to bring someone down, to shine a light on something. But you, but when someone steps over a certain line, they're kind of just as bad. You know, it's just as bad. So, yeah, I, I, I think that, that seemed to be a bit of a misstep, really. You know? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That's just how it seemed to me. Like, at the end, it looked like, I don't know, there was some sort of numbers and stuff coming up on the screen. Um, I Yeah, I couldn't really see them. They're small. And it just seems... Like, if you want to make... If you're trying to make a point about something... Why not make it in the film? You like you don't have to have just numbers popping up on the screen. It just infuriates me. Just infuriates because not everyone can see that. It just seems a lazy way of doing it. You know, incorporate into the film or don't, or just don't have it. You know what I mean? I don't know. Um, listen, I I do believe though. If you enjoy political satire, I I, I think if you enjoyed, um, uh, I think it's that film, is it Free Lions? Yeah, I think Free Lions. Ah, no, Four Lions, I missed a lion. It's Four My, yeah, if you like Chris Morris stuff, then, um... I think this will probably, yeah, I think this could be for you. This, I think this could resonate. Um, yeah, yeah, I would say that would be the kind of thing. So, um, yeah, if you like that sort of humour, if that's your type of film... That's all gravy, man. And you get a couple of occasions to um, see this. So, it's going to be playing tomorrow, Thursday the 10th of October at quarter to 12. And that's at the Embankment Garden Cinema. The one in between Embankment and Charing Cross. Then, on the last day of the festival, Sunday the 13th of October at 5.30 at the View West End. So, um, yeah. Two opportunities to see the new Michael Winterbottom film Starring Steve Coogan Isla Fisher David Mitchell Asa Butterfield Sophie Cookson And Denita Golly So uh, yeah Check it out if it's for you It's a hundred It's an hour and forty minutes So um, yeah You know not too crazy on the time front (laughs) 
Okay, so coming up is Premature. Uh, this is a fantastic little indie film. Uh, it was directed by Rashad Ernesto Green, um, who co-wrote it with Zora Howard. The film starring Howard, Joshua Boone, Michelle Wilson, Alexis Marie Wint, Imani Lewis, and Tashiana Washington. Music's from Patrick Cannell and Stephen Swanson. Cinematography, Laura Valado. Um, yeah, it's so good. It um, Rashad won the Kells Someone to Watch Spirit Award for the film. Um, and yeah, like... You know, this is so good that you will definitely want to see what he does next. But, um, okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to play the review. And then I'm going to play you the Q&A, um, which happened after the uh, the premiere at the um, film festival. And then we have an interview that i was fortunate fortunate enough even to do with rashad um yeah so sit back and i hope you enjoy okay so i've just come out of a screening of premature um so this was directed by rashad ernesto green um, produced by Joy Gaines, Rashad, and Darren Dean, and it was written by Rashad and Zora Howard. Now the film is starring um Zora Zora Howard and Joshua Boone. Um, the the gist of the film is this: so. Temperatures are rising in Harlem as Ayanna, played by Howard, prepares to depart for a college writing program. Then Aisha appears on the scene. Echoing John Singleton's poetic justice, Ayanna's arresting poetry charts the rocky terrain of first love. If the couple find themselves tethered to the reality of urban life, at incisive moments, they manage to soar within the lovescape of their own making. The tender narrative, co-written by Howard and director Green, shifts between the narratives, passions and fierce insights of a young woman coming of age. The combination of a profound central performance and the film's assured direction elevate premature beyond a classic New York love story to something fresh and truly special. Um, so, yeah, no, this was this was a nice film, you know, it, it, it really had this kind of. Just this kind of slice of life feel to it, you know? It, it's not anything, like, too in your face. It, it's just, I think, brought to you in this way that just feels natural. 
And I think natural is the key because that's it. All the interactions between the characters, especially um, Ayana and um, Aisha, Isaiah even. Yeah, even those interactions, they're just natural. You know, they, they they feel like conversations that you might have with someone that you're trying to get to know. You know, like just everything. You know, like the first you know, he he, he bumps into her in a laundry mat and they're talking and then it's like how that then progressed. That that felt like a natural thing And some of the reassurances Like oh I don't have to walk you all the way home I just want to walk with you for a bit And yeah Like this you know y- You understand that, that Hey people are cautious They'll be like wait you want to walk me up You're, you're going to find out where I live No 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 So yeah you have to precursor that You have to be like you know Hey uh, no I don't mean that What I mean is if we just do this, you know, I like to get to know you, and so I liked that, I liked it had that trueness to it, you know, and everything is kind of, kind of raw, everything is kind of, like, you you can see those little hesitancies in the movement, you know, that first kiss, it's not just a swoop in and ma 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 No, it, it's just like, you see the hesitation, you're just like, um, urge, and then the other person is a bit, oh, urge, and then they relax into it, and it's just like, ah, uh, yeah, 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 I've been there, I know that, that's familiar to me, and, um, yeah, that I think that's what you want from a story like this. You want to because that's the way you relate to it. Now, don't get me wrong. The, these ones that have this grandeur to it, you know, and and like the the declarations of love and everything of these big statements and blah, blah, blah. that's fun. You can enjoy that, but you don't want that all the time. That's every now and again, you know, because it's shaped, because it's just like, oh, I've not seen, like, that's not how I do it. So it's fun to see it every now and again. But essentially, you want things that you can relate to, you know, and, that, and this is what it is. Now, the film, the, like the bio of the film, yes, it, it does kind of um, reference poetic justice now. Like the element of poetry, so there are, and there's an element. There's a what, and when I say element, I would say it's a femic element because it's the poetry, and how the poetry kind of anchors the f- film. You know, because we have poetry throughout the film. Now, it's not like every other scene or anything like that, but it's in the right places. You know, so it adds an extra narrative, it adds an extra voice to the scene. And so that's how, like everything else, I'd say no, it's not like poetic justice at all. 
It's a story about two people falling in love. You have two people trying to get to know each other. And one of them does poetry. But, you know, that would be saying, like, every every sitcom is the same. When, you know, they're obviously not. Like, so yeah, there's elements of poetic justice. But you can also see things like... um. Love Jones, which is one of my favourites One of my favourites, man Love Jones But when you're talking about first love You know, you can say um, Love and Basketball You can say The Woods You know, there's a lot of films that have dealt with that first love And so, yeah, I get there's probably elements of those films in this But then it's just, there's so many things Yo, there's so many films with that love Like 50 days, 500 days of summer You know, um, Garden State Like all of these things deal with love And um, relationships and communication And all of that And the pitfalls and the hurdles So yeah, I, I I think there's always going to be something But I wouldn't say that it, it's a mirror of anything You know, this is something a little bit different Something a little bit new um, There are elements that, yeah, of course, we've seen before um, Like, uh, you know, there's... Um, I so there's a uh, um, you know what I'm not I, yeah because I'm not I don't want to spoil anything and I feel if I mention this one thing that might um but there's something that comes up in the film um probably the end of the second act towards the end of the second act and I was a bit like ah I kind of wish that wasn't there just because we've we've seen it in other things, you know what I mean? And and so I like the way that this was kind of divergent to a lot of other things. Um but you know, is it's, it's not the end of the world having this thing in. Yeah, definitely not the end of the world. Um but yeah, you know, it's one of those things. Um yeah, there are a lot of... There's so many elements of this film that I liked. I like the music. You know, I am a big fan of um, music in films. But music in films that add an extra narrative voice. You know, music that is essentially another character in the film. You know, the, the the music that underpins it like that And isn't just a song for the background of this scene You know And, um, yeah, this film Like, I really like the music And, the, the, you know, the score Just the way the music integrated with things And that was great There's also a funness in this film You know which lets you kind of go, yeah, that's how I am with my peoples, you know, they're, they're, like, there's one point when, um, 
um, yeah, Iana's with her friends, and they're like, yo, what's going on? Oh, so you, you're with your dude now, and yeah, yeah, you look different, and he's just like, hey, he fucked the colour back into your face, you know, and it's just one of those funny things that kind of friends throw at each other, you know, and, and, and so that was, hey, that was funny, and it's nice when a film adds in kind of little humorous moments without trying to be an overt comedy. You know, it, it's just trying to tell a story. And in life, yeah, there's a, just amusing things sometimes, you know. So, yeah, you, we have that. Um, but, yeah, I think the thing that really does underpin this film is just this connection it's just just the the human relationships and how we see them like Ayanna and her mum like that relationship and sometimes it's frostier than others but yeah that's just a natural thing now it's funny as well because like you have some of the elements that we see in certain films but they're not the core of this film So there's like conversations about politics There's conversations about Like what it is to be a black person Growing up You know, just in society But the difference between a black man and a black woman And is there a difference between a black man and a black woman? Then we're also looking at like Music and should music have some sort of political message? Should music be the um, the score of the revolution, or could not music just be music? Do you know what I mean like what is the statement that should be made with these things? And yeah, that that's a thing. Like that's a conversation. I know that's a conversation I've had with people. And, you know, you're just talking about stuff and it's just like, look, this means this. And, like, why are we always talking about the same thing? And, you know what I mean? Like, people should be talking about that that just happened. And the fact that there's been no ramifications, you know? But, yeah, is, is this a necessity? And so it's always interesting when you get this second kind of... um point of view on these things, but you don't make it the film, it's just a conversation, because that's what it is in life, it's a conversation that you sometimes have with people, it's not the be all and end all of who you are, so yeah, no, I, I like that, um, the ending is, the ending is interesting, because, because just the way it does, yeah, I'll let you be the, um, you know, the, the, the witness of your own interpretation, so, but yeah, it's just like, I liked how they ended it, there was moments towards the end, which I did find frustrating, but, I think that um, 
Yeah, I think that's a good thing. Because I think that's because I, I'm invested. I got invested, you know? I emphasised with the characters. And so when a certain thing was going down, I'm just like, yo, what? Like, why? Why? What's the deal? No, I'm not cool with that. No, 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 no. No, and so yeah, I'm I'm fine with the fact that there was that frustration, but this is a raw film for sure. It's definitely a raw film. It definitely kind of touches some nerves, but in a way that it's not like, hey, we're trying to be edgy. Watch out. No, it, it's just you know, the, like. As I said, look, it's kind of that slice of life. And in being that, yeah, sometimes shit comes up. So in that way, I would say. But I listen, I definitely say check this out. And people, oh yeah, you do get another chance to check it out. Um, so it will be screening again on Monday, the 7th of October at quarter to four at the View West End. So, you know what I mean, if if you can get out of work early, if you can, you know what I mean, just finish what you're doing early, hey, if you've got the day free, even better, but yeah, people, I would definitely say, come check this out, right, um, it's 89 minutes, so it's not a crazy long film, Yo, you don't feel like, ugh, yeah, there's no point, I'm looking at my watch, I'm like, ah, fidgeting around, and yeah, I got invested in the film, so, um, that's premature, it's, um, directed by Rashad Ernesto Green, who also produced it along with Joy Gaines and Darren Dean, and he also co-wrote it with Zora Howard, who was one of the leads, along with Joshua Boone. So yeah, check it out, Monday the 7th, quarter to four. All right. Just write something together. We don't know what it was going to be. 
uh, but we just said, you know, we decided to write something together. And the goal was that um, she would star in it, I would direct it, and uh, we would have a draft by the end of that month. And I said, um, we will premiere this film at Sundance 2018 or Sundance 2019 worst case scenario. Um, after that, I can't promise you anything, but at least that, that I can promise you. Um, and it came true. So, so I'm, you know, I'm happy to have um, collaborated with a friend of mine and, um, and see it, it brought it through to fruition. Uh, we, we wanted to investigate a narrative that explored instead of what we are so used to seeing from communities of color when we see them in cinema is that um, we often explore our pain and our suffering and that becomes a, almost a, the majority of the things that you see about our community. And we wanted to um, offer another side of our narrative. You know, we wanted to, to show our love and our lives as well. You know, um, and we understood, you know, why those films are made, and there's obviously a place for them. But when it's when it's only that, um, it begins to uh, throw it sort of out of balance. And so we wanted to bring back those great love stories of the of the '80s and '90s that we grew up on, and um, and so we 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 wanted to offer this verse in young black love, and. That's where we started. As we as we went through the process after that first month and so and had a crappy script, you know, we we started to you know um, explore the things that we wanted to, uh, to to bring about in it, and we began to embrace the short film that I had made ten years prior and some of the themes and characters and the world from that. And so as that began to crap, crep it, uh, creep in. Uh, we just embraced that fully and, and and named it the same thing, and here we are. Thank you. Um, just to jump back to the politics, actually, that was something that I that really struck me when I watched the film. It's like a lot of uh, films or black and black girl cinema is about our narrative or the narrative is about national struggle, and I feel like what you've done with the film is infuse it with politics as opposed to actually make it a film about a particular sort of political issue or struggle. Um, and there were kind of several conversations in the film where I identified this sort of confusion happening. Mm -hmm. And um, one of them was the, the discussion that they had in the studio mm -hmm. about the position of the black artist and their uh, assumed or presumed responsibility um, and this sort of dichotomy between um, artistic vision and um, the zeitgeist. And I just wanted to, to ask you where you stand um, in that, because we've got different perspectives and sensations, but where you stand. I mean, and that's exactly right, right? You know, that's the, the discussion. That's the, that's the dilemma as a black artist. You obviously want to make art that, um, not only you have something to say, but you also want art that's gonna be consumed. Yeah. You want art that's gonna be funded. You want art that's gonna be well attended. You know, so, where do we fall? <laughs> you know, when the audience has an expectation that black artists should be making or commenting on this particular thing in society, and if you don't do that, then well, you're not doing what you should be doing. Um, so that would, I mean, that's the question that I'm posing in that scene. You know, obviously from the perspective of a musician, but I'm, I'm asking that as a, 
as an artist, as a storyteller, as a filmmaker as well, you know, what is it that's expected from us, and can and are, and are we allowed to make art that that, that somehow, you know, that 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 goes against the grain sometimes, you know, that that offers another side of the equation. So you don't trust that you are. Well, I mean, that's more of an open. Well, I tell you, I mean, I, like, I mean, obviously the proof is in the pudding, right? Yeah. You know, I, that 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 that's where I am. You know, I I often am exhausted. You know, it's like you see a film, uh, a trailer, and um, it's like the the white cop comes up to the window. He's like, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and then three seconds later, it's like the kid is dead in the street. Boom! You hear the gunshot. And it's like, you know, I'm not gonna call out any particular film, yeah, be yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. And, and then, you know, your friends are like, oh man, I can't wait to see that. It's like, yeah. I, know, I open up the paper every day and you see that. You know, uh, to, to, to go to a piece of art and, and see it over and over and over again. Look, I know we have to talk about those things, but it seems like it's being talked about. Yeah. You know, like, where's the, where are the rest of the film? Where the, the the rest of the art that that deals with our lives that are not just something that you can look at that's separate from us, you know that you can look at and feel sorry about. Oh, I've done my duty in society because I watched a film and I feel sorry about what they go through. What about when you watch a film and it just has brown and black people, but you relate to their struggle because it's a universal thing. They're not doing anything that's just because it's the color of their skin or going through something just because it's the color of their skin, but they're going through what we all go through, which is love and struggle and pain and all that, you know? Yeah. So anyway, that's where I stand. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna ask one more and then open it up just to stay on the theme of artistry and then I've got time to ask some questions, but. Um, so Zora is also a spoken word artist as well, as the film opens with her beautiful um, poetry or her reciting some beautiful poetry. So can you maybe talk to us a little bit about how that was placed with the work pre-existing or was it made in that uh, incubation process of you working in quite a concentrated way in the beginning of the film? Now the funny, the funny, thing, about the funny thing about that is that um, she didn't want any of the poetry to be in the film. Um, we made Ayana a writer um, but it was like like very vague. Um, we eventually decided that she would be a poet, but she but but we didn't want to hear any of the poetry in the film. Um, I guess she was I don't know if she was self-conscious about her work or whatever. Uh, but she was like uh, elected the, the the first New York Youth Poet Laureate, so it kind of had a ringer, um, you know. But then we reached the scene, the only scene that we heard even just a, a couple of words where Isaiah read her journal and said, hey, can you, you know, can, can you read this for me? When we shot it on the day, the scene, the scene as it's written in the script is, um, can, you read, can you read this for me? And he says, which, you know, which one, the last one? And that's, where, and that's it. On the day when we shot it, I said, you know, can you just, can you just say a couple of, you know, just say a couple of lines of poetry or whatever? She, she, was, she, was, she was so unprepared. She was like, she, so she recalled something that, um, that she had written previously, but it, she didn't have it in front of her. She was just doing it by memory. And, um, and we recorded that whole poem, even though it was a little bastardized. We recorded that whole poem. And she was like, just please don't use that. <laughs> you know? um, and, when we, and when I saw the first cut of the assembly, the editor had put that, the whole poem 
over uh, the part where she goes um, and gets the son uh, sonogram. Um, and I thought, oh, that's perfect, you know. But then it was like this, so it was like this just one moment that stood out and, and, and we didn't have any other poetry in the film. Um, and when we, when we edited the film, we realized that we, we needed a little bit more access to what she was going through as a character. You know, she and Isaiah, she, she, you know, she's the one who doesn't speak very much. You know, Isaiah spills out his whole life story and what's been going on with his dad and all this stuff. And she is just like listening. And as an audience, we, were, uh, we felt um, that we needed a, a little bit more access to her interiority. So I would, you know, and it was a very rushed process. We like edited for like a month before that Sundance cut. Um, two weeks before we actually um, handed in that first uh, cut for Sundance. But um, yeah, so I would call her and be like, uh, Zora, can you just um, say something about, uh, uh, give me a couple of lines about uh, love and longing or something like that. <laughs> and just off the top of the day. She would just like, like throw, it, throw it into an iPhone, uh, you know, send us a couple of things. She was like, is that okay? And I'll be like, yeah, that's great. And then we would just place it. Um, and we placed it throughout the film like that. And that's they how are, it they, They're definitely very powerful, aren't they? And we were talking about this um, earlier where you, she doesn't really give you a lot of access. So the film is um, very much in her perspective, but um, our expectations are really faded because I guess when you watch a movie, when, and you see certain characters, we assume that you just have a certain understanding of them, yeah. not just from what we're sort of seeing and what is presented to us. So mm -hmm. it, it does really work. It's really powerful. I applaud the, her work and the poetry. I g yeah, I guess the, 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 the great thing of, you know, about those young women in New York is like sometimes they have that veneer. You know, you have, they have that wall yeah. that you have to work at. You have to, you know, just kind of chisel away at in order for it to break down. And when she falls in love, obviously she, you know, we begin to see her more vulnerable, but when she starts off, it's like, boom, you have, you have to work at this in order to get in there, you know? Yeah. And, but, and, for, uh, and for us to understand where she, where she is, um, we figured that we would give a little bit of insight with it through the, through the spoken word. And yeah, it's really well. I wanna open it up now, so if we have any questions, if anyone in the front, Hello, um, thank you for a very lovely talk. Um, one observation, one quick question. Observation was um, the mother. I really like the mother in the kitchen when she, when um, Ayana asks for the pickles, and you just get that look from her. And I've definitely had that look of my own mother, not for the same reasons, but um, I really, really like that, and it really brought it home in terms, in terms of the universal themes, and just you know, it's just like mothers all over. So I really love that. And I wanted to ask about the music in the studio and whether that will be available or at all. Sure, yeah, so, so, so the, the, the actress who plays the mother in the film, her name is uh, Michelle Wilson. She's a Broadway actress, um, and I was so blessed to have her walk into the audition room. Uh, we had one word in that scene. It was like, uh, you know, she walks in, she has the look and everything, and it's, she says like, oh, I got a, something like that. But in the audition, Michelle didn't say that, or she forgot it. And um, she just s stared at uh, uh, Ayana, and I was like, yeah, like I just cut that line. <laughs> 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 we, don't, we don't need even that, even that one word, because it was so
so you know just so powerful for just just the look of people that are delivered again um, in the spring. So she was very very uh, we were very blessed to have her ground ground the film like that. And then the uh, the song was actually um, uh, pre-written recorded by an artist named Jenna Bell. Uh, it was called John Forbid. I believe it's probably available on iTunes and all of that. Jenna Jenna Bell. thank you for sharing this was a very delicate and beautifully told story um, and I absolutely loved it and it was exceptionally cast um, my question is um, how much would you say you were influenced or inspired by say directors like F. Gary Gray because I felt like there was like slight um, homages to things like Poetic Justice which were made a classic and beautiful film and I thought this sort of mirrored some of that I mean, you know, there, we, there were a number of films that we that we watched. I mean, F. Gary Gray. I'm not sure if uh, if we watched any of his Poetic Justice specifically is John Singleton, um, but you know, we watched um, we watched some Woody Allen. You know, we watched um, uh, uh, Richard Linklater. Uh, we watched Spike Lee. We watched really the warmest colors. We watched Girlhood. There were uh, Eternal Sunshine, uh, Love Jones, Love and Basketball. Um, you know, you some of the <laughs> But yeah, you know, we just we watched as you know as much as we could, um, and just felt like you know for you know what 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 version of, of love did we want to present in present day Harlem that I was either either was similar or. Or different from those films, um, in what you know, in, in what they had presented in the past. I think we have one just in that same area, probably the Thank you. Just wanted to say that's truly a wonderful film. So thank you so much for that. Uh, my question is towards the end. Obviously, um, obviously Six Down at the train station. I'm just wondering for you. Was that ending a sense of closure for the characters, or is that a possibility of them working it out, or what was your intention with that? <laughs> what did you think? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you know, um, there's been a little, like a little bit of contention about you know how exactly we should end it, and there were different versions when we wrote it, um, where it was clear um, there was like more of a connection. Um, but we wanted to leave it, you know, semi-vague, so you would decide. But we wanted to at least give him and them, a ch you know, a chance at redemption, um, where some people never wanted him to show up at the end. Um, we felt like ultimately, although it's told through her perspective, it really is a love story about the two of them. So we decided to to, to at least have him back at the train station. I don't think that we are to assume that she stays or gives up her life, you know, in that moment. Um, but we do want to at least leave the possibility that anything could happen. Uh, we've got time for one more. There's one in the middle. Right, so middle. 
Hi. Um, I wanted to ask about the abortion scene because it was really powerful and quite harrowing. Because um, I remember you said, like, in the earlier um, production that you did, that um, the 14 year old carried the baby to term. So is it kind of like a deliberate choice to kind of have the abortion scene in there? And what was the thinking behind it? Yes, so in the uh, original short film, there's a very similar scene um, to when she gave birth um, in the bathtub. Um, and yeah, I basically wanted to show the character at her lowest, um, alone and, um, and in pain um, in order for her to then grow from, from that point forward. Um, Yes, it's meant to be harrowing. Somebody fainted during one of the Sundance screenings. Um, but, um, you know, it's ultimately, it's, 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 um, it's from there that she then can grow. I hope, I hope that answers your question. Was there, on just, we've got a couple minutes, but on that note, was there much conversation between Zora's co-writer um, from a kind of woman's perspective and how that scene would be kind of like shaped or or worked in some way? Or did you discuss, is that a point that you you both discussed in the writing of the film? In that particular one, no. Um, that one was, was very much established from the short. Yeah. Um, I, you know, on the day, the only thing that was maybe a surprise to her was that, you know, how rude she would be. Um, and um, you know, but she was a she was obviously a team player, and although it may have been uncomfortable in her parts, you know, like there was a necessity um, in that scene for you know that uh, it was that level of wound. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Um, we're actually out of time, so um, I just want to end by thanking you um, for the film. Um, and yes, please. Um, just to let you know, there is another screening of the film tomorrow. So if you uh, have um, on Monday, Monday, apologies. Um, so if you have enjoyed what you've seen, um, please do let people know and please join me. Three forty-five. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm here with Rashad Ernesto Green, the director and co-writer of Premature. Um, Rashad, thank you very much for your time. And um, yeah, it, it was great seeing the film the other night. Like, how did you, um, how did you find the screening? Oh, thank you so much, Kevin. Um, I found the screening really, really lovely. Uh, it seemed like the audience really understood the film, which I was surprised by because it's a very New York homegrown film and the dialogue can be, you know, um, hard to understand even for a local ear. You know, so for, for, you know, for the audience to stick around for the Q&A and the questions that they asked were very informed, I, I felt it went really well. No, that's great. I'm, I think because we've seen film, you know what I mean? There's been a lot of films based in New York. Like, there's been a lot of stuff that has kind of dealt with relationships. So I think people get, see those. And so you can get that understanding. You can kind of get a little, you know, cue into the dialect to some extent and that kind of thing. Because I know, it's funny, in the, um, 
in the description of the film on the BFI website, it's like it really does talk about the film being very similar to Poetic Justice. And then at the Q&A, like, someone asks you that question. And, um, you know, you're like, yeah, it's, it's not really. It's just, yeah, we both have poetry in the film. And um, so, like, when people kind of say to you stuff like that, like, yeah, how does that feel? Because, you know, I guess you want your film to be judged on its own. But yeah, when people are like, oh, your film's very much, you know, like blah, blah, blah. Well, I mean, I take it as a compliment. Now, poetic, poetic justice is not something that we watched, you know, d- during the creation mm. of this one. Um, Zora Howard, who plays the lead, Ayana, in the film, she's a spoken word artist. You know, so she's had poetry in her life from when she was a young child. Um, so that's why we incorporated it into her character. You know, when people say the film is like this or like that or love basketball or love jones then it's like great you know that's exactly the kind of films that we were inspired by when we were younger and the kind of film that we wanted to bring back because you don't see that kind of film nowadays nowadays you know it seems like we explore so much of our pain and suffering on a uh, on a regular basis we wanted to bring more of the love in our lives you know to 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 light in this film yeah no i definitely I mean, uh, to be honest with you, I've seen too many slave films. I, I can't watch another one because I know how it's going to win. It's not a good story. I'm just like, God damn it. I don't need this in my life. I just want something, something different. Where's the black Western? Where's the black... You know what I mean? Like, we did, there's other genres. There's other types of films. Like, ah, what's happening? But it's kind of um, interesting. Like... That you, you, you thought, alright, let me try and do something different. Like, how does, how do you find that though when trying to get financing? Like, because do people sometimes be like, I mean, that's fine, but how about making another Fridays? Or how about making a film more like, like, what, how does that play into that kind of stuff? I, I'd say when you go against the grain and you're working against the status quo, it will make your life very difficult as far as find, t- finding financing um, as, uh, as a black filmmaker. You know, um, when the industry has an expectation about what you should be creating and you give them something different, uh, you're going to have an uphill battle, which is why most of the financing came from myself. And, uh, and grant organizations like CineReach. We had uh, a wonderful support from Kodak Film uh, and a dear friend of mine. That was the base of our financing going into production. And then a couple of production companies, once we got into Sundance, uh, helped us through, um, through finishing the film. You know, but uh, yeah, it was it was definitely a struggle. There was a lot of interest that we that we garnered when we were looking for financing, but no one that said, "Here, let's open up the purse right now and give it to you." Especially when you're when you're dealing with um, actors that are relatively unknown and new. So, you know, but but you know, you look at a film like Black Panther, the Marvel Universe, and you see the worldwide support that that film received, you understand that there's such a need for stories that are outside of our pain and suffering um, that you know people are lining up in droves to see the film once it's made, but you do have to make it in order for people to come to the theater. Yeah, no, definitely. That, that, yeah, no, that's... 
Yeah, that's the unfortunate truths of the whole situation. But it's, it's you know, it's good that you made it. Like, how is it co-writing with someone? Like, what is the process? Does someone start off with an idea and then the other one adds to it? Like, or do you say, okay, you write the dialogue for these people, I write the dialogue. Like, how does it all work? I mean, I would say the co-writing is probably different for every single you know writer that enters that relationship but uh for us you know we we set ground rules from the from from the very beginning you know that we would um we didn't know what we were going to write about when we got into the room we just said we wanted to create something together and and so we we you know we basically had a conversation hey you know we want to make a film all we knew is that i was going to direct it and she was going to star in it so you know, whatever the character was, had to be a young black woman, um, <laughs> told through her perspective. That's all we knew. So we said, okay, well, what do we feel like is, is missing in, in the black cinema? What kind of story do we want to tell with this film? And we, you know, we talked about our lives, you know, what we felt we had, you know, expertise in. And, I, and we both came to the conclusion that we wanted to tell a love story because we both had our hearts broken before. We've both been through the ups and downs of love. And we could tell that story, you know, pretty well <laughs> with some authenticity. And it would be, you know, a Harlem-based story, you know, knowing that, you know, we didn't have a lot of resources. We wanted to keep it very local, using our apartments, using our friends, you know, calling on favors from our friends and family. So a love story lent itself, you know, to being able to do that, you know, on a very limited budget. So... So that's that's when we were off off in writing. We, we you know we talked about it for oh you know a couple of weeks. You know we just we we went in the ins and outs of the story and what we wanted to get from it. You know um, what it was we wanted the audience to take away. Which in, in uh, without giving away the film, you know we wanted to. If you left the film feeling that love, although. Sometimes it doesn't work out in the end of the day. It's still worth it. Yeah. You still grow from the experience no matter what. If you left feeling that then we succeeded. You know, so so yeah, so that's how we, that's how we went and the process was, you know, once we knew exactly what the journey of the characters would be and the story and we laid it all out, then we just went to work. Okay, you know, I'll take this scene, you take that scene. Um, and you know, or, or this section of scenes, and uh, and yeah, and then we just you know wrote inside the room together. We showed each other our pages. Then we, um, you know, either I would, uh, you know, jump in and 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 put some touches on her pages, or she would jump in and put some touches on my pages. Oh no, you know, the slang is not this. You know, it is. It sounds better if she says this. You know, like this kind of thing. And so we just went back and forth like that for. A year, year and a half, okay. um, and then, and then we decided to make it. You know, I I, I did the whole the whole financing battle, and decided to pull the trigger myself because we wanted to make that Sundance deadline, and and thank goodness we got in. Mm. But I think that's that's an important part there, like well actually two big important parts because you were like. Let's make a film, let's get writing. So you just were like, all right, this month, this is the window. 
boom and that's when you started and then the other one was just like looking for finance not happy with the situation it's like all right I'm gonna do it and I, I think they're the things that where people sometimes fall down because it'd be like yo Richard let's make a film be like yeah great idea be like all right I'll get back to you and then it's just like emails back and forth but never nailing a point and so it never starts or you write it and then be like right we need to get oh, maybe Netflix to finance us oh they won't what about you know Sony they won't oh we can't make a film and then people give up and then sometimes yeah it's just like if you believe in it yo just start it start the process and as you found like you you showed it at Sundance and then some people came with a bit of extra that helped but I think they are two big things that people I mean it's good for people to hear visit maybe that's a catalyst for them doing the projects that they wanted to do and they've just been sitting around on and when you're like doing the film like how do you because like there's a few intimate moments in this film right um how do you shoot those scenes like what's the kind of whole be like all right so you start right you take your top off first and then you do it's like like how does that all or is it just like just I don't know, like, so the end goal is you're going to be lying in bed and then having a conversation about boom, so just get to that point. Like, how do you do that? Well, you know, to, to, to piggyback on your first thing that you mentioned as far as, you know, um, doing films by any means necessary, you know, I would say that uh, I'm a very impatient person <laughs> and that's really helped me in my career because I'll I'll figure out a way to do the thing that I want to do and not wait for every you know for someone else to tell me I can do it or not do it you know yes of course I would love support or financial you know assistance to do something but we wrote it in such a way that I knew that if I received no from everyone that I could still do it on my own yeah um, so we, we, you know, but we, but we, but we wrote it with that in mind. Mm -hmm. If I had written, you know, some sort of sci-fi film or something that was gonna, you know, require lots of money that I didn't have, now I'm, you know, now someone else has the ability to tell me I can't do the, you know, I can't do the thing that I want to do. So um, my approach usually is is to have. Perhaps you have your big, your your bigger project that's going to cost millions of dollars that you that you're going to have to you know you're just going to have to go through that process because you don't have those resources. But I would always have something in my back pocket that you can do on your own in case everyone else says no. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. A couple of um, directors I've spoken to recently. That's what they've said. Like they've been like, you know, we'd be talking about their film. Like, how does this come about? And they're like, well, I had a bigger project, but the financing was all crazy. So I just thought, you know, I've had this one sitting around. So hey, make this one. So yeah, that, that you know, I think mean, that's always the, the the good thing. Have two things in mind. One lower budget that you could possibly make on your own that's right that's right yeah and then they'll go to back to your question about the intimacy and and how to handle those scenes you know we wrote those scenes so you know we were prepared for uh you know a certain level of nudity of course that was required 
but you know what you don't really know what you're getting yourself into until you just get in the room you know she didn't know the the other actor you know we we both met him at the same time and um you know neither one of us had worked with him before so you know but they were but they were game you know they were game to just jump in there so you know to rehearse those scenes you usually rehearse them with clothes you know with clothes on yeah first and then you say you know okay so we're gonna do this and then you'll you know you'll 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 then take off this top and this old you know you 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 have the the general framework of the scene and then when you're in it you just clear the room of everyone that doesn't need to be in the room you make the the the, the place safe the only one at the monitor is me and the script supervisor so no one's seeing it except for the people who who need to see it at at that point and then you just go for it. <laughs> <laughs> like, one thing that I always wonder, and I, I is, you know, you wonder, like, is it just it gets, you know, I me, mean, it doesn't make the car, or is it a conscious thing because of censorship and everything like that? But when it comes to those sort of scenes, we usually see the woman pretty much full frontal to some extent you know what I mean but it's always the guy from a certain angle kind of thing so like because yeah I've always wondered because you know what I mean just like when you're you know when you are hitting those moments with your, with your yeah and I it was just wondering like yeah, how all of that comes about, and like, is does it have to be a con, or is it just you know in the flow? I think it really depends on the you know the filmmakers and the actors and how how comfortable they feel. You know, um, in our particular circumstance, our our male actor did not want to show his full frontal nudity, um, but he was okay with everything else. Yeah. So we showed everything else. <laughs> <laughs> And then you know, in, in in Zora's case, you know, it was it was more difficult for me, I think, than it was for her. She came up, you know, in, in a family that was very very open minded. Yeah. Uh, but I've known her since she was 12 years old, maybe even 11 years old, something like that. Yeah. So you know, once the cameras were rolling and you know we were into it, I was like covering my eyes, like, oh God, I don't want to see like somebody I consider like my young sister. Yeah. Uh, in yeah, this yeah, yeah. Uh, situation, of course, she's a lot older now, but. But it was still, you know, like, oh man, um, we're making a European film. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Alright, um, right, quickly. Um, have you got anything else that you're hoping to hit next? Oh, and any um, streaming deals or anything like that, release dates for, for this going forward? Sure. So, so in the states, we're 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 picked up by IFC Films, and so it, it will premiere in the in theaters in January and February in the states. Uh, here in uh, UK, uh, we are with a um, film constellation is selling the film. Uh, Signature Signature Entertainment is distributing it here in the UK on a limited release, and we're hoping to do that before before Christmas. Uh, here in in the UK. Um, as far as what's next, I was hired by a British producer, as a matter of fact, Cassian Elwes, who hired me to do a biopic on Nat King Cole. Oh, 
Ooh. That's what's in the pipeline. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Kevin. I really appreciate you having me. No worries, man. I really appreciate the time. And yeah, I, I really enjoyed the film. So thank you, man. Yeah. Appreciate it. Okay, so hopefully you enjoyed all of that And I do definitely recommend to go see Premature If you have the opportunity um, Well, actually, I think it's possibly out I think it's on video on demand So, uh, yeah, just go download it, people Pick it up, it's fantastic And you will want it in your collection So a bit of news before we go um, Eli Roth has uh, come on board to uh, direct a film based on the um, Gearbox Software and 2K franchise Borderlands. This will be for um, Lionsgate and Picture Star. Uh, yeah, I mean. Kind of interesting Craig Mazine is going to be uh, Writing the script Avi Arad Ari Arad and Eric Feig Will be producing So uh, Yeah I don't know man So you know I mean the, the video games are set on A distant and desert like Anarchic Planet of Pandora um, and the games follow a group of augmented mercenaries trying to hunt down an alien vault rumoured to contain advanced technology. So, uh, yeah, who knows how much of that will play in the, uh, in the film. Okay, so um, Adam McKay is going to be directing a new uh, comedy called Don't Look Up. Uh, and this will be for Netflix Netflix even It's going to be starring uh, Jennifer Lawrence And the story follows Two low level astronomers Who must go on a giant media tour To warn mankind of an approaching asteroid That will destroy the Earth Hmm a bit onomous. <laughs> um, yeah, it's going to be produced by Kevin Mezik. And um, I think production is meant to start in April um, to come out a bit later on this year. So, hmm, I don't know. We'll have to see, right? I think there's been a lot of talk that. Uh, the new Planet of the Apes film was going to be a Disney reboot. But Wes Bell, Wes Ball, um, who's going to be directing the new film, has come out and said it is definitely not going to be a reboot and Caesar's legacy will continue. So, um, you know. Like it's not like the last film finished at the where the original Planet of the Apes started. So there's still a load to kind of cover. So yeah. I don't even know why people thought it would be a reboot. 
You know, that's kind of crazy, really. Um, another bit of news. So, Amando Inanucci and Yan Zeno are going to be teaming up again for a coming-of-age comedy um, set in the world of sumo wrestling. <laughs> yeah, so... The story is following Jonah, a silver-tongued and overweight kid with low self-esteem who meets Hana, a Japanese female janitor at his school and an ex-sumo wrestler, along with a pedantic and friendless building manager, the unlikely trio set about building a dojo and training for the US Sumo Open. Richard Galazaka penned the script. Um, Anucci will executive produce as well, alongside Emily Leo, Oliver Roskill, Odo Yazazaki Kazuto um, and Gianluca Chakra. So yeah, um, and Natalie Bailey is producing the film. So um, yeah, I think it's meant to start filming um, in the late spring and going to be released. Um, I don't know, maybe a bit later on in the year But yeah Uh, So, a new film coming from Apple TV Plus Is going to be Swan Song So, this is going to be directed by Benjamin Cleary Uh, And... It is produced by Adam Shulman, Jacob Perlin, and um, Maharashali Ali, who is also starring in the film. Um, it's the premise is it's set in the near future, and will explore how far someone will go and how much they'll sacrifice to make a happier life for the people they love. So um, that could be interesting. But we're going to end on this, uh, which I think sounds fascinating. Uh, Nick uh, Casavetes, you know, the dude behind The Notebook and John Q, has penned and will direct... uh, Cuss and Mike, which is the story of Mike Tyson's famed trainer, Cass Diamato, who molded Tyson into becoming one of the most ferocious boxers of all time and the youngest heavyweight champion. You know, so, yeah, I think this is such a fan fascinating story so I'm really looking forward to uh, seeing this you know what I mean um, like, so Anthony Hopkins is going to be playing Cuss uh, they're still looking for someone to play the young Mike Tyson um, yeah 
I don't know. So, but filming is meant to be going on between spring and summer. Um, yeah, I, I just can't wait. This, this is. It's going to be interesting to see how you know. What I mean, just how they pull it off. But you know what I mean, because Diamato was like a father figure for Tyson, and you really notice. The difference in his career when um, you know Cus died. So uh, yeah, looking forward to that. But people, enjoy your cinema watching. You know what I mean? Have fun, and we will see you next week. Peace.